0: Uh, If you have your Bible, turn with me to Matthew chapter 1. So go towards the back of your Bible. It's actually the very first page of the New Testament. If you don't have a Bible, you'll find one hopefully in the pew in front of you. A pew Bible or also it'll be printed on the screen behind me and in your bulletin. So lots of places to access the scripture. We're actually wrapping up our series from the fall uh, this morning on the life of David. And at the same time, we're also beginning the Advent season. And we're going to wrap up our series on David by looking at the genealogy of Jesus. And we said this at the beginning of our series that and really to understand Jesus and to understand Christianity, you've got to deal with David. You've got to figure out who David is. And David is a really important figure in the Bible, and so that's why we spent the Uh, fall looking at the life of David. Uh, And the reason why it's so important is because of the very first verse of the New Testament, Jesus Christ, the son of David. And what we see is that David, or I'm sorry, Jesus is the fulfillment of the promises that were made to David back in 2 Samuel chapter 7 uh, that Martin preached on a few weeks ago. They are ultimately fulfilled and find their destination uh, in Jesus. And so we're going to look at Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 17 this morning. And there will be a pop quiz on all these names. And so, listen up. This is God's word. And that's important because, you're like me, we can get to the genealogies and kind of check out and kind of think, man, this is pretty boring, all these names. But the Bible uh, in 2 Timothy says that every scripture, every word of God is useful for us. And so this is useful for us and has something to teach us this morning. So keep that in mind as I read God's word. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron. and. Hezron, the father of Ram, and Ram, the father of Amminadab and Aminadab the father of Nashon. And Nashon, the father of Salmon, and Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king. And David was the father of Solomon, the wife of Uriah. And Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. And Abijah, the father of Asaph. And Asaph, the father of Jehoshaphat. And Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram, and Joram, the father of Uzziah. And Uzziah, the father of Jotham. And Jotham, the father of Ahaz. And Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. and Hezekiah, the father of Manassas. And Manassas, the father of Amos. And Amos, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah his, and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shethniel, and Shethniel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abiud, and Abiud the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok. And Zadok, the father of Acham, and Acham, the father of Elihud, and Elihud, the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar, the father of Nathan, and Nathan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ. So, in all these generations, from Abraham to David, were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation of Babylon. We're fourteen generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, fourteen generations. Let's pray and let's ask God to come help us with this crazy genealogy. Let's pray together. Father, it really is true that all scriptures breathed out for you and useful for us, and so would you help us to see how this passage is useful to us this morning? Would you take this passage and apply it to our hearts? And use this genealogy to help us, uh, to help uh, show us further about who you are and your character. Um, show us the gospel this morning, the incredible grace and mercy of Jesus in this long list of names. Renew our faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Many of you know that uh, we visited my family in Kentucky over the holidays, over Thanksgiving. And when we got there, my parents had been cleaning out our attic. And they had found some uh, things of mine, and it was in a box, and it was one of those deals, look through this, and whatever you want to keep, keep and take back with you, and whatever you don't, you can just kind of throw away. And as I was looking through these items that uh, in this box, I ran across my education portfolio. You all know that by training, I was my dream was to be a high school basketball coach and uh, teach history. And so... Part of the graduation requirements was you were to have this portfolio, it was this leather bound thing, and you were to take that into a superintendent or a school system, and that was what you would use in your interview. And it was a way of looking at them and saying, This is who I am. And as I'm looking through this, you know, there's the first page, and it's all fancy, you know, the, the resume, and all these awards, and honor societies, and pictures of me in the classroom, and those sorts of things, degrees, and Experience and accomplishments, uh, and that's the way our world works, right? We're very individualistic culture, and so that's the way it works. You move out into the world, you list all your work experience, and um, all you put your best foot forward uh, through a resume, through showing what you've accomplished. That's not the way it works in the first century, it was much more community oriented, it was much more family oriented a family-oriented society. It was more about your people, who your people were. And the genealogy, in a sense, was their resume. It was a way they would establish their credibility, just like we establish our credibility uh, with a resume. And for us, many of you were bored out of our minds as I'm reading all those names. I get it. But the people here in the first century that are hearing this, there is a sense in which they would have been on the edge of their seat. They wouldn't have been asleep at all because the genealogy was interesting to them because it was a way of showing how that person was significant and what was important about them. The genealogy was the way of saying to the people, This is who I am. And in the same way, you see, with resumes, uh, you don't put the bad stuff on the resumes. I was looking through that portfolio and I thought, Man, I <laughs> was God's gift of teaching. Uh, I I was the best teacher on the entire planet. And that's the way it always works, right? When you're going for a job, you put your best foot forward. They did the same thing back then. They would have their genealogy. And remember, it was all about impressing the world with their people. And so if you were a shady character in the genealogy and in the family, (laughs) you got quickly omitted. Because it was all about being impressive to the onlookers. And we get to Matthew chapter 1, the very first page of the New Testament. We have the resume of Jesus presented for us by Matthew. And Matthew, think about this. You know, God in the flesh, that's what we're celebrating, right? It's Christmas. And you would think God would come and he would say, I want you to show how the powerful people that I'm connected to. Show you all the prestige and uh, the influential people. Well, Matthew actually does the complete opposite. Jesus comes into the world and he announces on the opening pages of the New Testament. He says, this is who I am. And he does it by proudly putting forth the most embarrassing, the most shame-filled, shady, and messed up people in the entire Bible. Why? Because he wants to show us what he's like. God wants to show us what he's like. And he wants to show us that these messed up, embarrassing, shady characters belong to him. They're a part of his family. See here, God is showing us two things about himself this morning from this genealogy. He's teaching us two things. And the first one is that God came into the world and took on real flesh in the person of Jesus to save real sinners, not just Christmas cards. Over the mountain sin, just in a general way, but real sinners. And secondly, we see through this genealogy that God is always at work. So let's look at those two things this morning. The first thing it shows us is that Jesus came to show to save real sinners. How do we see that uh, in this passage? Well, Matthew does something very unusual. This is a very uh, patriarchal society. And women back in that day and time were not even allowed to give a testimony in court. And genealogies were always traced through the head of the house, which was the man. And women were never named in a genealogy, much less five of them. And out of the five women that are named here in this genealogy, I want you to think about this several of them are Gentiles, they're outsiders. They were considered unclean. They weren't allowed to worship in the temple. And yet, think about this. They are included in Jesus' genealogy. In Matthew, it gives us another layer and dimension to this genealogy. And he names these women. And all of the women named, or most all of the women named, are associated with some scandal. They're associated with some of the most immoral stories in the entire Bible. See, the Bible's got some dirt on it. (laughs) Look at verse 3. Tamar, you remember her? If you don't remember her, uh, go back this afternoon and read Genesis chapter 38. I can't even, I don't even know how to really talk about that. (laughs) But let me give you a snapshot. Tamar tricked her father-in-law Judah into sleeping with her. And let me make a note, it was not all her fault. He treated her very unjustly as well. But yes, Merry Christmas. <laughs> That's pretty messy, wouldn't you say? Incest, and by everything we see in the Bible, it was against the law of God. And notice, even though Judah or Jesus was descended from Perez and not Zerah, Matthew makes a point to mention both of them. Why? Because Matthew says, "I don't want you to forget the story." I don't want you to forget the whole story and how messy it really was. And so you think your family's dysfunctional? Friends, Jesus' family was dysfunctional. You see, here we have Tamar, one of the great grandmothers of Jesus. Verse 5 Rahab. Rahab Hab was a Canaanite prostitute, one of the great grandmothers of Jesus. Verse 6, he draws attention to the Old Testament uh, scandal that we've been studying the last few weeks in our Life of David study by mentioning Uriah, Uriah's wife, the, the wife of Uriah. Look at verse 6 again, and I want you to notice this. He very, uh, Matthew very um, intentionally puts out for us and says, David the king. It's as if David is dangling the carrot carrot in front of us and thinking getting us to think and the people that are hearing this and seeing this for the first time. Yes, there it is. We got a king in in, in the genealogy, someone with power and someone with prestige. And then notice David ever, or Matthew ever so suddenly adds this line. David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah Now, why in the world would he do that? I'm not going into the whole background of the story because we've been doing that for three weeks. You can catch it on the podcast. And you might be thinking, man, Matthew's being disrespectful to Bathsheba. He doesn't even mention her name. No, he's not being disrespectful to Bathsheba. He's being disrespectful to David. It's a slam here against David. He's calling out David and his sin. He's putting his sin in HD for us all to see. And he's basically saying the, the primary audience was Jewish. And so he's basically saying, yeah, let me tell you about your great king. The king that you look up to. The one after God's own heart. He took another, another man's wife. That's the wife of Uriah. He's drawing our attention to that. You see, out of this sin-filled family, we find the family of Jesus. And so, what does this all mean for us as we sit here this morning? Well, the first thing it teaches us is this everyone, no matter who you are, needs a Savior. It's why Matthew puts David in the genealogy and highlights him, because again, he's writing to a Jewish audience. And so the Jews would be thinking, man, here's the credentials. He's got them. He's a man, he's rich, Uh, he's the king. And Matthew is basically saying the evil that your king, King David did, was far worse than what a, what uh, any of the other women have done that are in this genealogy. Yes, David needs a savior too. You see, what it teaches us is something very important about Christianity. And it's this, Christianity's not for the good people. It's not the good people are in and the bad people are out. A Christian is someone... It's not someone who get your life together and go out and do all these amazing things for God. Christianity is not about doing. Christianity is about resting in what God has done for you. You see, what we learn here very uh, specifically is that Christianity is about dropping your resume. you got to tear the resume to shreds because Jesus says the only way anyone gets in it's by grace. It's all grace from beginning to end. And then secondly, what we see here is Matthew, uh, think about this. He picks up on, he could have listed a lot of different things here, but he pulls out the most scandalous stories and sin in the entire Bible, and he puts them in HD for us. Why? Because he is showing us that God comes to save real sinners. That's the meaning of Christmas. See, Matthew is showing us that Jesus is not ashamed of you. He's not ashamed to be identified with some of the most broken and messed up people in the Bible. He's not ashamed of people who have a horrible past. And he's not ashamed of people like David who blow it and struggle even after becoming a Christian. Some of you this morning are in the middle of scandalous sin. And you're hiding. You're living a secret double life. And part of the reason why you've never been able to bring it out into the light is because you think it's too scandalous. It's too scandalous for Jesus, and it's too sinful. I cannot bring this. Jesus will turn and run away from me. This genealogy doesn't allow you to do that anymore. There's no one who's too bad for Jesus. And let me be clear. This does not mean that God approves of sin by having these people in his genealogy. No, we know God hates sin. Why? Because we talk about the cross a lot in this church. God hates sin so much that he killed his son. So this is not God approving of sin. This is God's way of saying that no matter what you've done or who you are, there is hope for you. And I will not leave you. I will move towards you, not away from you. I heard a story or read a story about a young lady who, when she was a young child, uh, she saw her older sister out in the backyard hanging her father's nice white business shirts on the clothesline. And she thinks, well, he's my daddy too, and so I'm going to help my sister, and I'm going to help her hang these white shirts on the clothesline. The only problem was the clothesline's too tall for her. And so she notices a rusty wheelbarrow uh, over in the yard. And so she takes the clothespins and she goes and does it proudly and with great joy and delight hangs, because it's just at her level, she hangs these business shirts on this rusty old wheelbarrow. And then her father comes home and she goes and she shows her father the delight in what she has done, and her father is furious. And he's full of anger and rage and punishes her severely for ruining his business shirts. And that event, along with other events like that throughout her childhood, led her to have a very distorted view of God as father. It eventually led her to counseling, and as she's sitting before her counselor, she says, I think I finally got it. I think I finally understand the gospel. And the counselor goes, okay, tell me, what, what, what do you think the gospel is? And this woman says, okay, the gospel is, I go out and uh, I, God comes out. God the Father sees the uh, rusty shirts hanging from the wheelbarrow. And he overlooks the shirts and then he comes and he scoops down and he gives me a great big bear hug. That's the gospel. And the counselor says, no, 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 no. It's not the gospel. The gospel, God doesn't overlook the shirt. He comes out and he sees the rusty shirt hanging from the wheelbarrow. And he takes it and he puts it on and he wears it proudly and he reaches down and he gives you a big bear hug and he wears that white, rusty, worn out looking shirt. He wears it to work. And he wears it proudly to work. And as he walks into the place and all of these, uh, his colleagues come walking up to him, what's the deal with the shirt? You've got rust all over your shirt. What's going on? The father looks and says, let me tell you about my little girl. Let me tell you how much she loves me. You see, we look at this shirt, or we look at this genealogy, And we're bored out of our minds. And God says, the genealogies, even the genealogies in the Bible are dripping with the mercy and the grace of God. You see, God's not ashamed of messy and broken people. And he has this whole list of shady characters. And it's his way of saying to us this morning and saying it to the world, let me put on that rusty old shirt and let me tell the world about my people let me tell the world and say let me tell you about my grandmothers tamar and bathsheba and rahab and all of these other characters in the story i put them on my resume because they belong to me they are mine that's the meaning of christmas that's what we're celebrating the god of the universe comes and takes on real flesh in order to save real sinners who have lots and lots of dark stuff deep down in their hearts. Secondly, this genealogy teaches us that not only does God save real sinners, but He also, He's always at work. If you've been coming to our series this fall, you know that one of the things we've been doing through the life of David is we've been Uh, looking at David and he's been showing us a great picture of normal ordinary uh, Christianity what the normal Christian life looks like when it's lived out and we've seen all sorts of things this fall we've seen uh, that God meets us in our suffering and that we can trust God in the midst of our suffering we saw David do that we saw that uh, Christian life involves good friendships remember David and Jonathan The Christian life involves dealing with the yuck of our hearts like envy and jealousy, the things no one wants to talk about. And we see that going on with Saul and David. Mephibosheth, the Christian life involves being kind and merciful to people and bringing them to our table. It also involves failing, doesn't it? And blowing it big time. And then repenting and finding our way back to God. That's the day in and day out stuff of the Christian life, of following Jesus, and this genealogy actually teaches us one more thing to close out our series, and it's that God is always at work. And for time's sake, I'm going to move really quickly here, but just think about this. We know that, look at verse 1, Jesus Christ, the son of David. And so Jesus Christ was the fulfillment of all the promises to David in 2 Samuel chapter 7. How long did that take? A few thousand years. Hold that. Remember how many years, uh, 400 years before Christ was born, no prophets were sent to the people. The long-awaited Messiah uh, had not been sent to the people. And the people are crying out. The Jews here, that's why these talks all these talk about David. Where in the world are you? God, have you forgotten us? Look at verse 16, at just the right time. Jesus Christ the long-awaited Messiah, comes into the world. The genealogy ends in him. He's the point of history. He's the centerpiece of history. And so what does this mean for us, really briefly? Well, the first thing that I think the genealogy calls us to is it calls us to be patient people, and that's not something we're good at. Think about this with me, okay? The genealogy covers 2,000 years of history. 2,000 years of people going up and down and failing and messiness and confusion and pain and sin. 2,000 years of people saying, God, where in the world are you? And all that time, God had never quit working. God had never taken his hands off of the steering wheel. But he continued to move the world forward in order to accomplish his purposes. And that means that we have to learn to be patient with God's timing. You see, we can't judge God by our calendars, we cannot judge God by our standards of time because God is always on time, His timing is always perfect. And he always makes good on his promises. And this is extremely hard for us because we get angry when the internet page doesn't show up in a half a second. <laughs> and God says, my time is always perfect. But the other application here is that this genealogy calls us to trust that God is always at work. I love this. Genealogy is so encouraging to me because think about this. Think about who I've shared about these these. People in this genealogy, you look at like Tamar and even David and Abraham. We didn't even get into him for time's sake. But you look at that and you think, God can't be at work in this. What a wreck. What a mess. I mean, surely at some point David thought, I have completely messed this whole thing up. And that gets at something that we think. You see, that's the way we think. We think when things are going perfectly and, and things are going well and all of our circumstances are lining up and, and everything's working out for us, we're, you know, it's a God thing. God's good. <laughs> but when it's not working out for us or when we're really struggling and none of our circumstances are lining up, where are you, God? God. You cannot be working in this situation. Friends, it's always a God thing. Always. And God is always good. And this genealogy is amazing because it tells us that God is so big that he takes the biggest failures in our life and the biggest detours in our life and he weaves those all together. And I don't know how it all works, but he weaves it all together and he produces something really, really beautiful in us and in the world. It's like a tapestry. Think about a tapestry. If you were to go to a museum and you saw a huge tapestry hanging on the wall, when you look at the front of that tapestry, what do you see? You see fine detail. You see something that's absolutely stunning and beautiful, and a skilled weaver has taken all of that and produced something really beautiful. Well, have you ever seen the back of a tapestry? <laughs> Train wrap. Knots, threads, uh, loose ends hanging. The front is smooth and beautiful. The back is a train wreck. God is the great artist. And friends, the back of the tapestry of our lives often looks like a mess. Often looks like all sorts of knots and threads hanging and sin. And it's full of suffering and failure. And God takes all of those things and he weaves them together so that the front tapestry of our life ends up coming out To be something really, really beautiful. Think about Jesus' life. What about his tapestry? What did the back of Jesus' life look like? A train wreck. I mean, it was a complete wreck. I mean, it was suffering. It was abuse. It was rejection. It was mocking. It was shame. It was a cross. It was bloody. But you flip that over... And you see something beautiful because when you flip it over, the front of the tapestry of Jesus' life is salvation for the world. That's what God was working out. Final applications. Some of you are afraid this morning. Some of you, as you look at the news, and I get it, by the way. Go read the newspaper and tell me how it's, it's hard not to be afraid, isn't it? I mean, it seems like every week there's a new sexual assault. Or every day. Every week there's a new mass shooting that pops up. The genealogy is a call for us to not be afraid. It's a call for us to actually read the news and look at the world through the genealogy or through the Bible, you might say. Because this genealogy reminds us that thing, remember 2,000 years it took, okay? Things are not as they seem. Friends, God is still on his throne. There is no sweat on his brow. He is not pacing. He has not quit working. He has not fallen asleep at the will. God is working out his purposes in the world. And at the second advent, it is coming. And he will come back and he will get you. And he will make all things new. So be patient. Don't give up. The other application would be this. Some of you feel like your life is a mess. Or you feel like your family is a mess. God's at work. He has not left you. Uh, Think about the tapestry. The back of the tapestry seems like a mess. But God is taking that. And he is making something beautiful in your life. Lastly. Think about a friend, think about a family member, or think about one of your children. And maybe one of your children, maybe you're, you're so discouraged because of where they are, and they're not walking with Jesus, they want nothing to do with Jesus, and you think God has forgotten you. I would just simply say this, don't give up. Their story is not over. Just like your story... It's not over. Tapestry. It might look like a mess, but God is working out His purposes, so do not quit praying. See, it's crazy, isn't it? This boring genealogy actually calls us to rest this Christmas. See, we feel like we've got to control everything. We feel like we've got to control everyone, and if everything doesn't go just right then we feel like things are coming apart. That's exhausting and impossible. Friends, the message of Christmas is that God saves real sinners. And God is in control. And he is working, even though it doesn't feel like it. He's working out his purposes in the world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this passage and the hope that it gives us as we think about Advent and Christmas. Would you help our hearts? Uh, Some of us, uh, this time of year, uh, we've, we've been doing this our whole lives. So come and make Jesus more real to us this morning through your spirit and through the table. In Jesus' name, amen.